the show Barry on HBO. This is such a good episode. (laughs) I I mean, this is such a good season, period. I really do love season two. As strong as season one was, like, what? There is just a magic to this season. What is that magic? I... I mean, I want to call it Hank, Um, but (laughs) no, I I think you're probably going to touch on this later, but, like, I think it's, like, everybody feels like they're playing in this season. Mm. And it comes out in the performances and, like, a little extra levity. I don't know. It's it's just some kind of magic. Are they just feeling super confident because the first season went really well and so everybody feels a little more settled in? I feel like maybe that's it. Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it it definitely feels like they're taking more risks and, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, just, like, pushing a little harder in the comedy zone. Yeah, I agree. And this episode is no slouch. It is very funny. I was thinking... (laughs) Of this episode, and I was like, you know what? I feel like this episode is responsible for probably, like, eight out of ten Barry GIFs, you know? If you look at all the the GIFs from Barry, like, so many of them are from this episode. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so so let's get into it. This is episode three of season two. It's titled, Past Equals Present Times Future Over Yesterday. I have no... (laughs) clue where that title is from no earthly idea i assume that it is something that one of the writers read in a self-help book <laughs> like years ago and it's always stuck with them i i truly don't know uh, that would be in keeping with the um, power of no power of now thing yes maybe yeah, yeah a very no. self-helpy so this episode is directed by we're gonna pronounce her name as Minky Spiro. I don't know if that is how you pronounce it. We did try to look it up and we couldn't did. find evidence. She is appears to be a British director. At least she was educated in London and directs a lot of British things. So we're going to assume she's British. She's done Down Abbey. She's also done episodes of Better Call Saul and Jessica Jones, which is pretty cool. And then this episode is written by Jason Kim, who does not have a ton of IMDb writing credits, but as we were talking about, you can be in a room and not necessarily get credited. So he um, probably has a lot more experience than this, but he has worked on Love with Paul Rust and Gillian Gillian Anderson, Gillian Jacobs, (laughs) and the HBO show Girls. Very Judd Apatow universe before Barry, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't really find any information on him, though, so yeah. I'm not really sure what his background is like. I don't know. I follow him on Instagram on our account mm-hmm. and uh, lots of fashion photos. He's, like, big into, like, style and fashion. I was going to say, his IMDb photo is very beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I can he, see that. He posts a lot of, like, really cool. He just, he just seems very cool. <laughs> All right, so we start with a round table. It's very, like, Charlie Rose. It's very, like, inside the actor's studio, you know, like, completely dark studio. Bunch of figures around a table, and one of them is Thomas Friedman, which Cristobal has mentioned in past episodes. And they do this kind of reveal where Hank is there, or I'm sorry, North Northern Hollywood Henry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember what his little Chiron says, but it's like super smart person or yeah. something like yeah, that. Super, super smart. 
And he starts debating Thomas Friedman. And by debating, I just mean like he calls him a dum dum. Um, <laughs> says his ideas are stupid. But anyway, he gets woken up. And we see that it's a dream, which is very fun to get a dream from another character. Yeah. And we can see the Lexus on the olive tree, which is a Thomas Friedman book, open <laughs> on his chest. So that's where his dream is coming from. But he's basically told that something bad has happened. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Oh, (laughs) it's a very incongruous uh, reaction to that. Comes downstairs and is basically like, oh, no, has something bad happened to Esther? Very (laughs) suspiciously. But no, Esther is there. Cristobal says that Esther and her men were almost assassinated and is very concerned about her safety. And so he wants Esther and some of her men to move into the stash house. (laughs) Hank realizes that that means that there's not going to be room for him and his men. And so um, he's like, well, where are we going to stay? And Cristobal sends him outside of the warehouse to a shipping container. (laughs) And while Hank's men look on, Hank says, we have to kill Barry. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. And I want to come back to that scene. So then we get to, you know, we we cut to Barry's apartment. Barry is is at a computer. He's trying to figure out how he's going to, you know, write this monologue about his experience in the Marines in Afghanistan. And he keeps trying to rewrite history a little bit and frame it so that, you know, he is the hero of the story. And the first time he decides, okay, this is not the story the first time I killed the guy. It's the story the first time I saved a life. But then as things are borne out in his, you know, fantasy, which we're getting, like, you know, in parallel to him actually writing it, he realizes that that might not be, you know, the right call. He just doesn't have any good stories about himself. <laughs> no, yeah. Like, it, it's... It, even when he starts to embellish the truth or, like, leave parts out, like, the real story leaks out in yeah. other ways. And then Sally, meanwhile, is working on her monologue, and she has this FaceTime with a friend from back home, um, and tries to, like, you know, piece together what happened. And, and really, she's just looking for an affirmation of the story she's been telling herself, which is that she stood up to her abusive ex mm-hmm. um, before leaving. So while Barry is, you know, typing away on the computer, you know, deep in final draft, uh, <laughs> bullets start whizzing past him. And he almost doesn't notice them because there's a silencer and it comes through, mm-hmm. like, the, you know, the cheap apartment walls. And it yeah. just, uh, yeah, it's... He suddenly realizes that he's being shot at (laughs) and goes into, you know, uh, assassin mode and starts to return fire. And ultimately, he ends up hitting a hitman who is across uh, the roof. It is, what's the guy's name? Akmal. Akmal. Akmal is with Hank on a roof uh, opposite of Barry's apartment. Barry uh, finds them on the roof and it's Akmal and uh, Hank and he confronts them. And uh, Hank basically says, like, he's a dead man anyway, so why doesn't Barry just kill him? Barry's got the gun pointed at him, and he, at the very last minute, decides he's not going to pull the trigger. And uh, Hank's relief is palpable, and we'll come back to that. (laughs) It's, like, one of the funniest moments, I think, in the show, possibly. Ultimately, Barry agrees that he will pay his debt to Hank by training him and making him an army. Plan is to get his men trained up kill Esther, you know, take over the Burmese army's operation. So Hank accepts and they're back to being best friends again. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) Which is like one of the funniest (laughs) scenes. It's so good. So 
Barry's first day as, what is it, mercenary army instructor <laughs> <laughs> to Hank's uh, henchman is a pretty difficult one because uh, it turns out they actually really suck at shooting stuff. <laughs> I don't know how you get to become a mafia henchman without being able to shoot anything, but here we are. Hilarity ensues. Fuchs, meanwhile, is being pressured by Detective Loach to get more evidence against Barry, so he goes to visit Barry at Lululemon, where Barry is alone, because I guess nobody was shopping at Lululemon that day. <laughs> but shockingly, I think to all of us, Barry's, like, really happy to see Fuchs. And he, because he, he's had all this sort of dredging up of these memories in yep. trying to write his, his vignette. And so, you know, he, Fuchs is, like, the only person that he can actually talk to honestly about this stuff. Yep. So he wants to talk about what happened. But Fuchs, probably being wired, I don't know mm. if we saw that or not, but I just assume that he is, basically, like, shuts him down just mm. because he doesn't want Barry to say anything incriminating. Yep. But also, you know, Fuchs kind of reminds him that, like, he can't be honest with these people. Yeah. Like, the acting class is not people that he can be honest with. And it ends with Fuchs and Barry, like, crying and telling them each other they miss each other. And, like, it's, it's, it's a bit unexpected, but I also understand it. Loach, obviously, is very frustrated because this is the <laughs> second attempt and he's not getting what he wants. So, meanwhile, Jean makes another attempt to connect with Leo, his secret surprise son, (laughs) by going to visit him at work and giving him the key to his lake house, which, and I definitely want to talk about this, but basically says, you know, don't think of it as, what is it, don't think of it as a gift, Uh, it's a business opportunity. Yeah, he's Um, like, you'd be the assistant to the owner. (laughs) Yeah, basically the groundskeeper, so... Oh, shockingly, <laughs> Leo's not swayed by that and basically says, like, I don't want the key to your cabin where your girlfriend was murdered. Just leave me alone. Yeah. And we all cheered. <laughs> Good for you, Leo. Good for you. Yeah. So back at acting class, Barry gets into his monologue, but <laughs> he's, it's not actually his monologue. It is from Braveheart. <laughs> and Gene calls him on that, of course, uh, and, you know, tries to get him to, uh, you know, reach into into the truth and, and to portray something more honest. Yeah. So then he has Barry uh, sub in for, oh, who does he replace? Nick? Nick. Nick, yeah. Yeah. He has Barry sub in for Nick as uh, <laughs> Sam, even though Nick insists that he can play straight because he did it for 22 years. Yeah. And Barry plays Sam, uh, Sally's abusive ex, in her scene. But yeah. he is very timid about it. Uh, the script requires him to choke Sally and he flat out refuses. Yeah. And he, you know, walks off stage. Sally uh, tries to provoke a performance out of him. And um, starts pushing him. Yeah, they, they both yeah. are ganging up on him. And as Barry starts to, like, feel the rage build up inside him, he doesn't want it to uh, affect Sally. And so he, you know, he, he bolts. He leaves stage. And so Barry's storming out. Sally goes to chase him outside. And right as they're about to talk, Sam shows up behind Barry. Yeah. And holy shit, what a way to end an episode. Yeah, that was shocking. Yep. And then, oh, I just love, I love that parallel between, you know, when he's writing his scene about um, saving Albert. Yeah. And we get that, you know, where he turns away from Albert 
as he's wounded and everything slows down and you just see like the rage in his face and it's just like you hear the whistling of the wind and there's no other sound and they call back to that when Sam shows up and all Sally has to say is like hi Sam and it's just like he clicks right back into it it's so good it is so good that's one of my favorite devices and like before we like move on from it like the first time I watched the show through in my head that was like the indicator of a flashback and watching it on you know this like third or fourth time through I'm realizing no that's him keying into his rage yeah you know yep yeah so good all right first off I just want to say that that's not Thomas Friedman (laughs) (laughs) I looked it up (laughs) and I was like is that Thomas Friedman no, it's not. But Thomas Friedman is alive. Most evil guy bring you the the answers to the hard questions. I mean, you could just Google it <laughs> and then be like, yeah, that guy's not Thomas Friedman. This is the difference between Jamie Lynn and I. I thought about Googling it and got distracted <laughs> and Jamie Lynn actually Googled it. <laughs> uh, I mean, kudos to Hank for reading Thomas Friedman. I mean... I know. I feel like you could build like quite the reading list. Like, there's probably some list out there like someone's goodreads like you know know who hank's reading list yeah but yeah between the books that yeah that that, um cristobal recommends to him that he reads and they talk about i feel like you could you know put in a pretty good leadership syllabus there is a lot of uh literature in this show yep between gene's book kind of guiding us through season (laughs) one and the the four agreements yep and now we have thomas friedman like this is the very literate crew we're dealing with here it is (laughs) you know i feel like uh i feel like Cristobal is a big influence in that, you know, yeah, arena. For sure. But I do, uh, I also love the idea of, like, these L.A. mobsters, like, small-time L.A. mobsters reading books about globalization. Like, <laughs> yeah. They're like, what lessons can we take away from this? <laughs> it's so funny. And the show is called Smart People. <laughs> was it? Yeah. Oh, my God. The, the icon was just SP, and then, like, the <laughs> iron thing at the bottom said Smart People. Oh, I love it. <laughs> It was so great, and I just loved that kind of glimpse into Hank's mind. Yeah. And just have him be like, you know, your stupid Thomas Friedman. Like, (laughs) (laughs) It was really funny and, like, a fun way to get him to articulate his, like, you know, even his subconscious is trying to work on Mm -hmm. taking out Esther, you know what I mean? (laughs) He's definitely. This is a very, at least the first half of this episode to me feels very like Hank driven. Mm-hmm. We're seeing a lot of Hank. We're seeing more of Hank and his comedy. This episode oh is God. so good. Like he cannot contain himself. Like from the minute go when yeah. he gets woken up, he's just like, Oh, did something terrible happen to Esther? Like <laughs> he cannot wait to hear that her watermelon had exploded. Like, <laughs> And he's so affable while doing it. Like, that's the thing is, like, normally when somebody is, like, singularly focused on murdering someone, Mm -hmm. you're, like, looking at them askance. And no. With Hank, you're, like, kind of, like, want him to get what he wants. He's just so gleeful about it. He is so gleeful. (laughs) And, like, so innocent somehow. So he comes downstairs, and Esther's there, but, like, he's just like, oh, uh, who is it? It was, like, he didn't do his job, or her job, or maybe it was drones, like. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, Esther's here with her Slurpee. (laughs) 
Oh my god. Just and like disdain for her is mm. But what I love is like Esther completely knows what's up. Yeah. And she's just like eyeball fucking Hank the whole time. <laughs> Cause she's like, I know this is you, you little bitch. But Cristobal is completely I did I I wrote um Cristobal, it does not even occur to him that it could be Hank. He trusts Hank. And I he, was wondering about that. I don't think he thinks it's Hank at all. No. And then I, I was thinking about that because I was like, well, if he doesn't think it's Hank, then why is he, like, kicking all of his guys out and putting them in a shipping container? But I was like, the reason is, as nice guy and, like, you know, super nice management approach style kind of guy that Cristobal tries to pretend to be. Yeah. We've seen before when he has told Hank, like, his men are weak. Yep. He really sees them at the bottom of this pyramid. Yeah. And Esther and her men are better trained. Cristobal knows, whether consciously or subconsciously, they are better allies for him. Yep. And so I don't think he's kicking them out of the stash house to, like, punish them or anything, Hank's men. Mm-hmm. I think he values Esther more. I and was... so... Yeah. I was just thinking, like, he's thinking with strategic brain, yeah. making, like, the hard management decisions of, yeah. like, he doesn't want to lose that alignment. They have a heroin shipment coming in that he wants to be a part of. And so that finally makes sense. Because yeah. uh, initially I was like, it doesn't, I don't get it. You know what I mean? It's, it do- didn't feel punitive. No. I, I, I thought about it. And I thought, you know, especially watching him. It, I just think it did not occur to Cristobal that it was Hank. But I think yeah. that his he values... He knows that his relationship with Hank is solid. He does not value Hank's men so much. Yep. He does not see them as, like, real assets. But Esther and her men, he does. And so he's going to... It's like when, you know, you have, like, a, a guest come to your home. Yep. And, like, you roll out the red carpet for them. But, yeah. like, you know, if your mom lives with you, you're just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But... What I also don't get, though, is, like, when you see the stash house, like, we've we've seen the stash house, okay? Barry and... What's this fuck? The dead um, one. What was oh, Taylor. Name? Taylor. Yes. Barry and Taylor went all through the stash house. It's huge, okay? Yeah. You see it from outside. It's, like, four stories tall. There's no place in there for Hank and his men. That's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And, like, one of the things that I was, like, I, I had, like, a pin put in this because I wanted to ask you about it was why the shipping container... It's the same question, like, why not the stash house? And I was like, it can't be just for that one joke. Because there was a good joke in there about uh, going to Ikea, getting area rug, maybe some bean bags. <laughs> I know. I was like, is this just like a tiny house thing? Yeah. Where they're like, we're going to make a tiny house out of a shipping container. And you're going to put like 14 <laughs> Trishan assassins in it. I mean, this is really from, I think, the writer's perspective, mm-hmm. which is like, how do we move Hank to a place where he wants to hurt Barry? Yes. And... It, not killing Esther was, like, a big one, because you could tell Hank was obviously very unhappy about that. Yeah. But Esther also t- says he got away, you know, white boy in a Lululemon tracksuit. So Barry, so Hank knows that Barry is still alive. Yeah. So Barry didn't kill Esther. He's still alive. And now Esther is literally in his physical space, driving a wedge between him and Cristobal, to the point where Cristobal has abandoned them to the shipping container in the parking lot and like i feel that like it's sense. from the writer's perspective it's all to drive hank to a point where he needs to turn on barry that okay yes yeah. i i'm tracking with that now that makes a lot of sense because i mean like it, it it almost reminded me of instead of like you know like a parallel relationship thing or like a lateral relationship thing feeling like 
Cristobal is like his dad or whatever and you've got like a new kid in the house and then like the old kid gets ignored <laughs> and gets jealous. Oh, like maybe like your dad's girlfriend moved in with like her kids yeah. and your dad needs to be really nice to them because otherwise his girlfriend will get mad. Yeah. But, like, yeah. <laughs> but you're like, I'm your actual kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and it succeeds in getting him to that point where he's like ready to turn on Barry, which is difficult because they're best friends. <laughs> I don't know that it's so difficult anymore, though. I think Hank has really had to be like, like put the put the hammer down on Barry. Yeah. And so I think this is just like one more thing where he's just like, okay, we have to kill Barry. Yeah. And I feel like every time he gives Barry another chance, mm-hmm. he probably feels like this is the last, this is the last chance I can yeah. give him. Yeah. And yet. And yet. Okay, so I want to talk about this next scene because it is literally, I think, one of the best scenes of this season so far, for sure. Hands down. It might end up being my favorite part of this whole season. So we just see, like, we come to and, like, Barry's on stage. So we don't know what's happening yet. We think this might be real. But Gina's the only person in the audience, so that's kind of a giveaway to us that, like, maybe it's not real. Mm -hmm. So Barry starts walking us through the Korangal scene again, and it's just the words coming out of his mouth are him being honest for, like, the first time. Yeah. So he talks about having a sense of purpose, community. He describes it as, you know, the day I took... <laughs> the day I took a life was the best day of my life. Mm-hmm. And it's like, he's finally just, he's putting on paper, as we see, he's writing. He's finally putting down, like, what really happened, how it really felt to him. And then he quickly realizes, no, 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 I can't do that. Yep. I think it's so profound because he specifically names those two things community and purpose Mm -hmm. and throughout the entire first season those are the things that he was chasing yes community and purpose every bad decision he made and every good decision he made were all motivated by his desire for community and purpose you know what else too he calls albert his best friend Mm. he was on watch i don't remember if they call it Firewatch or not in the army they did but he's like i was with my best friend albert and i'm like your best friend you don't have any other friends or like i don't you know it's like everything gets reframed for him yep as like the best thing but that also explains why like he stands by fuchs so much even after all the shit that like fuchs does to him it's like albert praised him for doing this thing and now he's his best friend i am so fascinated to like one day maybe find out what Barry's upbringing was like. I know. Because the fact that he gloms <laughs> on to these tiny scraps of attention and yeah. care does not say a lot about how much attention, he, or it, it says a lot about how much attention he might have gotten growing up. I feel you know? like he was probably raised by a wire monkey mother. <laughs> a what? <laughs> <laughs> you know that old experiment with the monkey where there was a wire mother that had bottles that fed the monkey and oh. then there was the... Mon- the wire monkey mother but they put like a, a fur cloth on her oh and even though she had no food the little monkey would go and cling <gasps> to that one anyway oh that's so sad <laughs> i know it's super sad but all that is to say i'm pretty sure barry was raised by the wire monkey <laughs> mother and not the furry monkey mother <laughs> uh yeah i mean 
and I have like so many questions and I won't speak too far into the future because I don't want to spoil anything, but I, I did watch through episode five last night and the question came up to me again, like Fuchs being a family friend, mm-hmm. like why would Fuchs be there for Barry when Barry's family is not there for him? I don't know. Doesn't we, make any we sense. don't know. And what kind of person would be friends with his parents? Or what kind of parents would be friends with Fuchs? I we don't know. We don't know. I it's don't think we're ever great. gonna know. I don't. Yeah. I don't think we're ever gonna know either. But if they do let us know, it's gonna be really interesting. Yeah, because like the, the that was what I was gonna say earlier. Then I was like, oh, I can't talk about this before, uh, before recording. But um, a lot of people when they talk about Barry talk about PTSD, mm. and I'm not saying Barry's not traumatized, and I'm not saying Barry doesn't have PTSD. But I'm saying that the more you get into this story, the less it's about what happened to him over yeah. there. And the more it's about what happened to him leading up to that point that made that moment be his first, like, feeling of belonging and purpose. You know, I was at a training years ago and a psychologist came and talked to us. And one of the things he said was basically like, I'm going to paraphrase this and generalize it because I don't want to give away what kind of training it was or Mm -hmm. but it was basically like the people who have the hardest time coping with trauma and moral injury are those that had trauma Mm -hmm. in their childhoods Mm -hmm. and so I think that's Barry I mean some he was not he did not have a normal life before he joined the marines (laughs) yeah that and I feel like there's like some traumas in childhood where it happens outside the family unit, and then maybe your family has the skill to help you cope, maybe. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of trauma that happens in the family unit. And yeah. if, if that type of trauma is happening in the family unit, chances are nobody in the family has the skills to help you cope. Exactly. Because if they did, they wouldn't be traumatizing you. And you didn't learn those skills then. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I just yeah. I just really love this scene. It's, it's Barry being 100% honest mm-hmm. about how fulfilling this moment was for him. And we see how it colors what he is chasing now it's great i love it and it like it shines a light on that rift between his real story and his ability to tell his real story and his understanding that if he is present with his full real story in the world he's going to be rejected yep and that's we i think we get a lot of that this season so yeah i really i I like exploring that (sighs) sally meanwhile oh my gosh (laughs) I have so much to say about the Sally situation. You know what? I just want to, before we get into Sally, I just want to say we have gotten some excellent feedback from Skylar on Spotify. Mm. And for episode two, Skylar said, this is the episode where I really started to love Sally as a character. The way that she talks herself into a corner on stage is so realistic for what she's going through. Sarah Goldberg is just so amazing. And I agree with all of that. And so I just want to preface that because I'm not, (laughs) (laughs) as I say, horrible things about Sally. (laughs) It is not about Sarah Goldberg. And it's not even about Sally as the character in the context of the show because she is... I love that she's here. I love everything she's bringing. It's just, she's a, she's a complicated character. Yes. And we really get to see those layers <gasps> here. Uh, sorry, yeah, here, yeah. Like starting here and then through the season. Man, it's yes. so satisfying. So we, sh- Sally's there with Barry as he's trying to write. Mm-hmm. And she's doing her own thing, you know, mm-hmm. and always just brings it back to herself. <laughs> as she does. But I was, like, in listening to her talk about, like, check out what I just wrote. And what is it? It's, like, if you 
think you're gonna choke me we'll choke on I this choke on this yeah i'm leaving <laughs> i'm you. leaving you yeah and I, no i don't think any of us in the audience believe that that's what happened yeah i don't think barry believes what happened either because he says something like oh that's great like well like his first thing was like he didn't care what her response was it was he choked you and he oh, takes yeah. that big moral affront to that yeah and her okay so there was something so real in this to me mm-hmm. where her response was oh yeah he was like a huge piece of shit like like for her that is just a fact of her life yes. that she had a guy that beat the shit out of her and choked her yep and for her it doesn't feel dramatic because it can't in every moment of every day yeah. feel that way and i will say here that like i am a survivor of intimate partner abuse not physical abuse but like a bunch of other kinds and there's, like, so much that this story, like, just touches in me that I'm really glad that they went there. Yeah. Uh, it is shocking. I don't... I've I've never seen another show handle this like this. Like, mm-hmm. it's either played for such drama. Yeah. Or revenge porn, which we'll get to. <laughs> <laughs> so... Not that kind of revenge porn. The other <laughs> <laughs> so, I wrote, Sally is retconning her life to the point where either... <laughs> She, A, can't remember the truth, or B, is trying to force other people to recall it her way. And that comes out when she's talking to her friend Kate, because it's literally like Sally thinks it happened the way she just wrote it. Yep. It really does seem like that at first. And then when Kate doesn't confirm that for her, then she tries to be like, well, no, I I told you that at the time. Like, okay, so... First, Sally says, oh, yeah, we never talked about what happened. She says that kind of as an apology to Kate because Kate's, like, kind of surprised that she wants to talk about that night. Yeah. And Sally's like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. We never talked about what happened. So they never talked about what happened. Yeah. And I just to add, like, at first, when I first saw this episode, I thought maybe it was going to be even, like, it was going to be, like, a nothing burger. Like, you know, she was completely oh. misremembering it. But then when her friend says she came and brought the bat, you're yeah. like, oh. Oh, her friend knew what was up at yeah. the time. Like, like she was this aware. isn't just for attention. Like, yeah, Sally, yeah. it was worse than Sally will even admit. Yes, yeah. So, first she says they they've never talked about her, and then Kate gives her recollection, which is like, you were at the bar that night, you were dancing with this guy. Sam came home drunk, and he was mad about it, and he beat you up. And then she, you came to my house, and I got the baseball bat, and I drove you over, and he was passed out as usual. We grabbed your stuff, and you left. Mm-hmm. And then Sally tries to, like, reiterate, like, no, remember I told him to fuck off? And I said, you know, the, you know, I'm leaving you. And she was like, oh, I don't remember you saying that. And Sally says, yeah, I told you this at the time. Yeah. So it went from, I'm sorry we've never talked about this. Yep. But then when she doesn't get her version confirmed, yep. then it's like, oh, don't you remember? I told you this is how it happened. Yeah. And then Kate obviously is uncomfortable with that, but just like wants to sidestep it. And we also get some great comedy out of this scene because even though oh we just God. dealt with like <laughs> Sally and like layers of horribleness that just happened, like we find out that like... The truth is even worse than, you know, Sally wants to admit to all of us yeah. and herself. And then it ends with, like, <laughs> her friend saying, like, oh, no, I didn't see that show you were in. We just, with the kids, we don't have time for TV. We only watch. And she rattles off, like, <laughs> a dozen shows. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it was so funny. And they were, like, 
whoever curated that list of the shows that she'd be watching was just so in tune. It was straight up middle America yep. mom TV watching. <laughs> it's like the voice and like <laughs> so you think you can dance. All the Desperate Housewives. Yeah. I love that instead of just Desperate Housewives, it was all the Desperate Housewives. Was there more than one Desperate Housewives? Um, There wasn't. And I, I was oh. assuming it was one of two things. Either she was saying she binged the whole thing and okay. had time for that. Or oh. or did she say Desperate Housewives and meant Real Housewives? Oh, I don't know. Because all the Real Housewives would make more sense. I thought, like, oh, did they, like, franchise that show and there's, like, more Desperate Housewives Yeah, no, shows? it's just the one. You know, like, how they tried to make another Gossip Girl? Yeah. <laughs> and they did. They did make another Gossip oh, Girl. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. They did actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just none of us watched it. Anyway. <laughs> I did, but I only did it for Luke Kirby, and then I stopped wa- uh, watching because he is a man of ill repute. Oh. Not, not a hooker. But <laughs> <laughs> He's a, a sexual assaulter. Oh, cool. I don't know who that is, but... <laughs> Luke Kirby was uh, in Mrs. Maisel. Oh, shoot. Lenny Bruce. He played Lenny Bruce. And he was in Gossip Girl? Was he someone's dad? He's the new Gossip Girl of someone's dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say... You know what's, oh like, melts my brain is that Tavi Gevinson is on the New Gossip Girl as an adult. She is one of the <gasps> adults on New Gossip Girl. Oh, my God. Yep. That's amazing. I'm so old. Yeah. <laughs> you feel oh, ancient. No. I'm so old. I figured she'd be, like, running her own magazine by now. I Yeah, I don't know. Huh. Uh, the uh, she's, she's good in it, too. Um, earlier, I was watching Instagram, and there was, like, a video about being old, but the person who made it was born in 1994? Shut up. Shut up. I would hit them with my car. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. That All right. Was yeah. Before I keep side. threatening people's lives, <laughs> let's move along. <laughs> what do you think about Gene and Leo in this episode? Ooh, good question. I think that Gene's ineptness in trying to connect with his son is, like, borderline intentional. You know what I mean? <laughs> but just because, like, he if he were to watch the movie of how he were to reconnect with his son, mm-hmm. he wouldn't script it the way that he's acting. I don't know, though. You don't think so? I mean, Gene, it, look at his acting class. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's great. I guess it's true. He's kind of seeing giving the keys to his cabin as, like, a grand gesture. He's like, if he were a director, <gasps> he'd be, like, a Michael Bay he when he hands the key to him, it is in what looks like an old Tiffany box. Yes, I agree. Yeah. So he's like, here, have the key to my cabin where my girlfriend was murdered in this yeah. old Tiffany's box. And I think the fact that it's in an old Tiffany's box is probably supposed to be like, this is your grand gesture, mm-hmm. you know? I agree. Yeah. I what do think, you think? I mean, Leo pushing back at him was like super vitriolic. Yeah. But I think it was very deserved. Because Gene really, so earlier in this season, when Gene reaches out to him, we know that it was coming from a selfish place. Yeah. It was coming because he lost Janice and he was probably thinking about what his life legacy was and also missing that intimacy and that connection in his life. Yeah. And thought, you know, I had, my default is I had a kid (laughs) many years ago. I'll just, you know, go spark that up. (laughs) And, and I totally understood Leo not wanting into that situation then and then this time you know he's back and he's making another gesture but it's the way that he makes that gesture Mm -hmm. it's so 
yes, he presents it in a Tiffany's box, we assume. But it's also really, like, caveated by, like, oh, no, it's a business opportunity. You would just rent it out or do whatever. And he's like, you want me to be your groundskeeper? Yeah. It's doing, Gene wants you to do a favor for him. Again, (laughs) it's about Gene. And so when he, like, freaks out at the end, I'm just like, yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah, well-deserved. Yeah. Um, No, I think you're right. I think, like, his response. Also, like, I feel like him standing up to his dad was probably a good feeling for himself, too. You know what I mean? And it maybe represented, like, some kind of growth for him. Yeah. The other thing I think is, like, telling about this exchange is that what's implied, at least to me, is that Gene's pattern of behavior has made it so that his son has to look every gift horse in the mouth. You know what I mean? Um, oh. Where, like, if you had, like, a normal healthy relationship with a parent who sacrifices for you re- routinely and gives you stuff, mm-hmm. you might receive that trustingly. Yep. And in this case, he's got to look for the fine print, yep. um, what's in it for dad. So, yeah, he's he's been trained through his upbringing to... Check for rotten horsey teeth. Yep. <laughs> yep. As Cristobal says at the beginning of the episode, the horsey. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love, because I also call it chess piece the horsey, horsey. don't we all? (laughs) I was, by the way, that's, like, the one thing that did not feel realistic to me. The horsey? No. no, Oh. Was that that Hank taught Cristobal chess. So, Barry resumes writing. Yeah. We're back in his apartment. And, you know, this is where you'd mentioned he is like, you know what? We're not going to talk about Korangal. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the first time I saved a life. <laughs> <laughs> and so we get this great scene where, like, you know, he's in a village and someone's donkey has been shot. And Albert's like, nobody here shot your donkey. We're not going to reimburse you for the donkey. And the guy says something like, God is watching you. And then Albert gets shot in the face. Mm-hmm. It was so abrupt. I don't think any of us were expecting that. And the thing is, too, I think a lot of times in shows you see, like, body shots because that's probably easier to do from an effects standpoint. Yeah. Because you can just, like, you know, rig them to just, like, have a gunshot. Oh, and he got shot, like, straight the cheek, yeah. into the cheek. But it was just so jarring. But it makes what sense. What is it with the cheek injuries being so disturbing because a cheek injury <laughs> comes back in episode five which we'll, we'll tell anybody about oh my god you're right but then also like pan's labyrinth you remember that scene where the guy like basically cuts through a person's cheek like from their mouth to their jaw i don't know i've oh. seen that it was so, so disturbing oh. you've seen that happen so much <laughs> yeah i mean it's in lots of stuff oh my god <laughs> it was the first time i'd seen it and i was like the fuck <laughs> Okay, so it's very abrupt. He gets shot in the face, which honestly makes a lot of sense because they're just, like, in a lot of Kevlar and they have helmets on. So, like, where are you going to shoot him, yeah. you know? But, um, <laughs> you're thinking about it tactically. <laughs> and then Barry, like, I just love the realism of, like, Barry fumbling to get out his, what do they call those styptic packs? Uh, I don't quick remember. clap. Ah, uh, yeah, His yeah. quick clap pack. So he's getting that out and, like, you know, pressing it on Albert's face and everyone's, like, yelling and doing things. And we just see Barry. This is the origination of that, like, everything goes quiet except the wind whistling through. Mm -hmm. And he just gets that look of rage. And we see him turn and he's looking at something. And then he's like, no, 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 no. Like, the honesty hits him. Like, he realizes what he's doing again. He's being too real. 
Yep. And he has to, like, back away from that. And I just have to point out a gesture that Jamie Lynn did so that you can get the full effect, which is delete, 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 delete. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Because, um, like, yeah, because he's writing and he's like, nope, we're not going to go there. Yeah. There was something really interesting about that scene, right? That you hear a woman's wail in the background. Yeah. And when later, when, you know, the parallel scene plays out, what really happened, it's the same woman's wail. Yeah. So it's still happening, and he's just resisting the reality. Yeah. It's it's so interesting how they did that. But I also love the realism of Barry sitting at his computer, and then, like, you just hear, like, this little, like, Psh. Yeah. Psh. And, like, you know, and he looks at the wall, and he's just like, huh. And then, like, another hole appears. And it takes him a second. He kind of looks around. Like, to me, that's so realistic. Like, even as much experience as he has with, like, shooting people yeah. and being shot at, it takes him a second to be like, well, that's weird. Yeah. Because like, <laughs> uh, in that time, in that moment, he's not expecting no. it. You know what I mean? No, it's not the context for it. Yep. And so he's just like, huh. And then you can kind of see it click for him. And he's like, oh, fuck. And yeah. like, gets his weapon. <laughs> But I really loved, like, how realistic that was. It wasn't, like, pew, pew. And then he's, like, oh, no. And talk about suspense, too. Like, that's, like, I think 30 seconds, maybe, between the first shot and then him realizing what happens. Yeah. And you're just, like, holding your breath the whole time. This show is so good at that. (laughs) I love it. I really, there was something funny about that and also very real. Yeah. Not that I've ever been shot at by a would-be assassin, but... I, that would probably be what I would do. It'd probably take me a lot longer to figure it out. And then I would look straight out the window and they would be like, pow. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what's so funny is like, okay, so we then cut to Hank and Akmal on the roof across from Barry's apartment where Barry's sitting, the window's open, like, mm-hmm. and then they're arguing and Hank is just like, how can you be so terrible at this? And like, and Barry shoots Akmal in the shoulder. You know what I love about that is that it's setting up the next thing that happens. You know yeah. what I mean? The fact that his assassin is a shitty shot means that he needs training, which means he needs Barry to stay alive. Yeah, you're right. In the moment, it was like, well, why did Hank bring this guy if he yeah. sucks so fucking bad? Yeah. But when you realize they all suck so fucking bad, <laughs> except that one dude whose name I never caught uh, and my, can't remember. My, my nard, my may something. I don't know. Maynard. But, like, it's like, well, where were you hiding him? You should have brought him. Barry would be dead. Oh, Mareback. Okay. Mareback. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like a cookie that a baby chews on. (laughs) (laughs) Mareback. Yeah, there's, like, these weird hard cookies that babies chew on. Oh, they're so gross. Um, I feel like we need to do a commercial for that. (laughs) They're called, like, Zwiebacks. (laughs) Oh, 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 they have a real name. Okay. Yeah. No, it's real. That's so funny. So, all right. So then, this is very impressive to me. So in the time that, like, Akmal gets shot in the shoulder, and he's Mm -hmm. like, ah, fuck, you know, Barry, like, appears on the roof. So Barry somehow made it out of his apartment, down his apartment, I don't know what floor they're on, but they're, you know, at least, like, second or third floor, into whatever building they are on, and up to the roof of that building somehow. Yeah. Like... It was just, like, so fast. It was, like, Looney Tunes fast. It was. And, like, yes, there was, like, a little bit of an exchange happening between Hank and, uh, and Akmal. Yeah. Akmal. And, uh, but it did not, it was, like, very fast. It was, like, comically fast. Yeah. It was, like, four lines and Barry was there. I love that Hank is, like, he shot me in the arm. Yeah, he shot me in the same arm, too. Same exact spot. He's so good. (laughs) (laughs) 
god, this scene. So Barry's there. Yep. And Hank immediately he stands up and you see oh god this is so good, you see like flicker on his face like he's like oh shit and then he's like he just like immediately like gets like super hard and he's just like fine kill me anyway you know yeah. you're gonna kill me anyway like go ahead like and he just you know like stares him down it's so good because <sighs> you can you can read the subtleties on yes. Anthony Kerrigan's face that like he is pretending to like be this nonchalant about it yeah which plays out because it's such a good bluff i want to ask you about this though why do you think barry doesn't shoot him um i think it's the same reason that he's pissed at them for shooting in the window of his apartment because he's like my girlfriend's in there like it's just dangerously close to his his life and like him being exposed i think but i don't know maybe maybe he likes hank and doesn't want to well that's why i was like if he was in a better position yeah. to not leave two bodies on the rooftop <laughs> across from his apartment, <laughs> oh yeah, do you think he would kill them? I think if they were like in the desert or something, yeah, I think he probably would have. Interesting. What yeah, do you think? I don't. I don't know why he didn't shoot him because it would have solved, I think, some issues for him. I mean, Hank is always fluttering around, like yeah. threatening to blackmail him or kill him or whatever. Yeah. So I wasn't sure in that moment why he didn't, except. I do kind of think he likes Hank a little bit, but I don't know if Barry, like, allows himself to think like that. It's funny, too, because, like, I feel like there could be one of three reasons. One, he likes Hank. That's, you know, mm-hmm. possibility. Two, it's the doesn't want to get caught by these specific people, you know, mm-hmm. by uh, his girlfriend and his friends and, like, scrub his new life and it's close to his apartment, so it might be a giveaway. And then three, just the, he the you know, starting now thing. Like, he's just, like, doesn't want to kill anymore in general and that's like the whole point is that he doesn't want to kill oh maybe yeah because he hasn't actually killed anybody at this point in the season has he um has he was supposed to kill esther but he didn't right right yeah Yeah. so okay yeah i don't know all right maybe it's that (laughs) i just love hank vomiting in relief after oh my god i and i love the fact that it comes like 10 seconds after he's like oh, that was so scary. And then, like, the adrenaline just, like, keeps going, yeah. and then he hurls. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's perfect. It makes a lot of sense. But I, I love how they're, like, arguing with each other about, like, Barry's like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, what am I supposed to do? Go to John Wick Assassin Hotel with a help wanted sign? <laughs> it's so good. Oh, my God. Oh. I love it. I also love that it, like, verifies that in this universe, John Wick is a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, it really sets Barry apart as distinct from that. (laughs) (laughs) I love... We can always count on Hank to pepper in, like, pop culture references. He's so good. Yeah. He's so funny with that. Yeah. I I love that. And, oh, man, just, like, this... The facial expressions that are happening Mm -hmm. in this scene. The tone. I would have, like... I would love to be able to, like, rewind and go back in time and just be on set when they're filming that. Because oh I thought it was fucking hilarious. Well, I think, isn't there, like, a blooper scene of the Suck Balls Mountain line where, like, they are just <gasps> all there? laughing so much? They said they had to cut. Uh, I was watching, like, the special feature afterwards. Yeah. And I guess the line had been, um, shit. And it, it was, was like, something else, yeah. Yeah, it was like, if, uh, if we're shit, then you're king of shit mountain. Yeah. And then... In one scene, Anthony Kerrigan improvs suck balls. My guys suck balls. <laughs> and Troy, who plays Akmal, just improvised. Yeah. Like a, well, he just replaced one term with another. 
and everybody just lost it. <laughs> and he was like, oh, I'm sorry, guys, because, like, they had to cut for it, and everyone was laughing so hard, and they're like, no, that's that's it's what it's going to be now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's I feel so like funny. that's one of those things that you always see crop up again. Like, what? you are king of suckballs now. <laughs> it's so good. And and it's like, like, you were, you were, you know, asking earlier, like, what's the magic of this season? Mm. Is it like, it's not, it's more than just what's on the page. What's on the page is, like, spectacular. Yeah. But there's more, like, I think improv happening. Yeah. Possibly. Possibly. Or I just... It just delivery or like you were saying facial yeah. expressions like yeah people are really like giving their all it's great it's uh so good but and then <laughs> not even the end of like the rooftop humor because then oh you have God. no it's not <laughs> you have uh hank's dance fucking died i watched it twice I really, he looks like a little cartoon he marzipan man, like, <laughs> <laughs> to quote Liz Lemon. With the, like, elbows up in the air, and then yeah. the part that got me was when he makes Akmal get up yeah. with a bullet in his fucking like, arm. Oh. And Akmal's like, oh, okay, fine, you know, like, you pulled my leg. Like, the way you might, if someone tries to get you to dance at a wedding and you're not in the mood, but then you're like, fine, I guess I will. Like, like he understands <laughs> it's an exciting and good thing, but, like, also he's been shot. <laughs> Oh, but my yeah, God. the whole, like, Barry's going to give me an army. 50-50, crystal ball. So good. But, yeah, I mean, I kind of I kind of love this idea of, like, Barry being like, look, why don't I just make your guys better? And then yeah. you won't need me. And then I can just go back to my life of not killing. It's a solution. Yep. Is it a good solution? I don't know. There's a lot of steps before we get there. But, yeah, it's... I mean, I'm not sure what m- more he could offer in that moment. It feels pretty generous, all things considered. He didn't shoot Hank, <laughs> and now he's going to train his guys, so the funny, win-win. The funny thing is, and it reminded me of the conversation that like we were having with uh, Alec when Alec was on the podcast. Go back and listen to episode... 109. Uh, 109, yeah, if you haven't yet. Um, is like, at what, what point is Barry responsible for his actions? Mm-hmm. Um, instead of, you know, it being able to, like, say, oh, it was the, if you manipulated him. Yeah. Um, and in this case, he's at, like, an interesting moral fork in the road, I guess, mm-hmm. where he can either kill, what, one person, Esther, and well, probably a bunch of his, her guys, too, yeah. but, like, um, kill Esther and a bunch of her guys and satisfy Hank, or he can train an entire army of people who will go forth and continue killing, but his <laughs> hands will be clean of those right. specific murders. <laughs> he's like, murders are going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to do them, but... <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's a trolley problem. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, it's a trolley problem, yep. <sighs> oh. <laughs> I, I just... It's... Hank is so funny on that rooftop scene. Oh. There's so many good lines, his deliveries. It's just so good. <laughs> also, I love it when Barry comes back into his apartment. He makes it back in. He gets past Sally. Oh his God. bed is it's... covered in the feathers yes. from his shot-up duvet. She doesn't even notice. Mm-mm. She doesn't ask him, like, what's with the feathers? Nope. She just lies down in bed with him. Yep. And starts talking about her thing. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I think these are the scenes that, like make people think like oh sally's an narcissist i don't want to together that kind of thing mm-hmm. but here's the thing is she really the one that's a blame there you know what i mean like who's going to expect when they go into their boyfriend's bedroom that there was a recent assassination attempt you know what i mean but it's not even that it's like if you walked into a room that you were already in and there's duvet feathers everywhere 
wouldn't you be like, hey, where'd these feathers come from? I would ask that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, but then she lies. Yeah. And she says, she so she recounts, like, her conversation with Kate. And she's like, she basically remembers it exactly the way I do. <laughs> she's just reaffirming to herself. And so- then she reads Barry's, like reaction to everything that just happened that she's oblivious to as him being upset because he has writer's block. (laughs) It's just a little writer's block. She just assumes everything without asking. Yep. Uh, It's so funny. The hard part of that, though, is she's like, you need somebody you can talk to about this stuff. What about the Marines you brought to Natalie's party? Oh my god, his answer. And he's like, they don't really talk anymore. And I actually had to think about that and I meant, I was like, does he mean they don't talk to each other? And then I went, oh, no, they're all dead. Yeah. They're all dead. Literally, they physically cannot speak because yeah. they are no longer in the land of the living. I was like, oh, my God. That was rough. Yeah. I don't know who thought to put that line in, but oh, genius. Yeah, that was uh, dark and also yeah. very funny. I think that's also, like, why, I mean, that that primes us for his reunion with Fuchs. Yes. I mean, also, <laughs> let's bring it back. You you were talking about it. We're, we're at the Quinceanera store. They oh. called back to that. <laughs> I fucking love this because it's like physical humor for like the next two or three episodes that happens in the quinceanera store just by nature like being full of big fluffy dresses and like that creepy child mannequin oh my god yeah it looks haunted for sure yeah but so fuchs and loach scheming some more (laughs) you know i wouldn't call it scheming really i mean loach has fuchs over a barrel here yeah but fuchs is also like i built this guy's mind i'll have him shit not shitting in my hand and no i was like wait what (laughs) obviously he's trying to combine like a couple different sayings eating out of my hand (laughs) but why shit where did shit come from (laughs) i love though that he does it such confidence yeah that it almost takes a second for loach to be like the fuck you know but that's how he gets people he comes yeah. across that's what he's he did to go yeah. yeah he's a literal con man <laughs> confidence man oh and then he says something about um when they're talking about quinceaneras and he was like oh yeah it's kind of like a female bar mitzvah <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you know what it reminded me of died. it reminded me of like when you like go see I don't know. If you've, if you've ever seen, like, a really elderly male gynecologist or, like, just a scenario where it's, I like... I wouldn't. No. I ha- Men are not allowed near <laughs> those parts of me. I'm not joking. Oh, my God. When I went to MEPS, they do, like, a little brief external exam to make sure that the parts you have match the parts on your paperwork. Mm-hmm. You, they, it's basically a women's health doctor in there, and you go in for, like, five minutes, and you lie in the bed, and you know, legs up. Yep, everything mm-hmm. looks fine. On the ceiling of that MEPS was a poster of Jude Law. Why? Like, just of Jude Law? Just of Jude Law. It wasn't, like, from a movie or, like, him doing anything? Just Jude Law. Okay, so when you say that, I'm picturing when I was a child, I had a poster of Zach from Saved by the Bell with Mark Paul (laughs) Gossler. And it was just, like, 80s style, like, gray school photo background and him just standing there in, like, an oversized suit and just said, like, his name in, like, one of those weird, like, yellow-orange bubble things. Was it like that? No, it was just, like, straight up, like, a fan poster. 
of Jude oh. Law. Like, it was probably from, like, a, a magazine. Like, oh, okay. Like, a ripout or something. But I think there were, like, some stickers, too, up there. And, like, I guess the idea was to distract you or, like, give you something pleasant to look at. But that was, like, quite the assumption. Jude Law. Well, I'm going to say, like... <laughs> um, something th- By the way, this was after at. he had publicly uh, cheated on Sienna Miller. So, <sighs> like... Which, like, for shame. Yes. She was the fashion icon of the early aughts. Such Thank a you. babe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But, yeah, quite the assumption there for that doctor. And also, like, why? And, like, weirdly sexual. Anyway, that was, like, weird and unprofessional. And, like, Jude now Law. if I saw that, I might report it. But Okay, so, question. Yes. If you were a MEPS lady doctor. Yep. Oh, MEPS is Military Entrance Processing Station. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, you're there. Like, Sorry. I was there months before I actually went active duty, but most of the kids that are there are, like, doing their physical and then, yeah. like, getting on a bus. Getting on a bus. Yeah. And they're going to boot camp. So, if you were a MEPS lady doctor, whose poster would you put on the ceiling if you had to reach in everyone's vaginas? Okay, I would not. <laughs> I would put, like, a puppy or something. Like, not something that's supposed to be, like, sexy. I would put something comforting. Wait, no, you can't put a puppy. Because what if you're, like encoding weird sexual oh, stuff God. about dogs into their just, brain. Then just don't put anything on the fucking ceiling. You know what I mean? Like, for me, there's there's nothing further from a sexual experience than being at the GYN, even though it involves the same... Oh my God, what if they put, like, math problems up there? That's even more stressful. I think my vagina would just, like, But I was trying shut. to think of things that weren't sexy. <laughs> or I mean, could be mistaken for sexy. Math is definitely not sexy, but yeah. it also fills me with so much anxiety. I don't think they could get a speculum okay. in there. But that's okay, so it wasn't an internal exam, so <laughs> that might still work. Okay. I'm sorry. This <laughs> I feel like half of this will need to be cut. <laughs> this is such a weird aside. Oh, no, I'm leaving this in. People, <laughs> people need to know about military culture. Um, anyway. <laughs> uh, oh, back to Fuchs. Okay, no. Oh, I love the joke about the interpreter at the fake army training. Oh, so good. And he reminded me of a Chechen version of who's that character actor that's in a bunch of stuff that has the beard and the bald head. He's in, like, insurance commercials and, like... I don't know. Anywho, it reminded me of that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Are you talking about the State Farm guy who's in Whiplash? No, no, no. Um, he's a different guy in different insurance commercials. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love how you know what I'm talking about, though. I do. He's uh, a, yeah. Yeah, okay. I can't think of his name, but yeah. <laughs> the guy who plays, like, the kindly dad in, like, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think Hank describes Barry as the Air Jordan of assassins, <laughs> which, again, we're layering in those pop culture references. Um, and also the Sonny and Cher, that's on you, that's babe. On you, babe. <laughs> which is, again... A perfect gif and is mm-hmm. all over the internet. I love it so much. I wrote of this scene, I wrote, This is me shooting a gun. Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I had to qualify on the M9 to deploy, and I am not a great shot. Mm-hmm. I'm a good enough shot by exactly one bullet. <laughs> and I think that the like range person who is assigned to grade my thing might mm-hmm. have done some creative accounting i would be like <laughs> could you stand very close to me <laughs> excuse you, me sir can, can you, you come, come about 10 yards forward <laughs> i just want to tell you something <laughs> i just want to talk yeah um i'm just i'm very loud can you come here yeah when he was counting my sheet like i'm pretty sure he pointed at the same bullet hole twice <laughs> so uh anyway 
You were like, that's right. Two bullets went through that hole. <laughs> that's my accuracy. Also, Sasha texts Barry when he's out here training the guys Oof. and is like, what does she say? Like, I'm sick. I can't. Can you cover for me at, at Lululemon today? And he's like, sure. And then she, I've had this happen to me. Have you ever had this happen? Mortifying. Yes. Where she immediately texts him and is like, Jarhead's going to cover for me. So first of all, is the nickname really necessary? I mean, <laughs> is Barry the kind of guy you have to nickname Jarhead? Um, I don't think so. I don't know. And I feel like he probably doesn't even know that's his nickname. Uh, and for for the uninitiated, does everybody know that Jarhead is Marine? I would hope so by now. I mean, yeah. that Jake Gyllenhaal movie taught everyone. Yeah, but like the youths, have they seen that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> they should, though. Yeah. Yeah. There's a scene with a Santa hat that <laughs> I still think about from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my Meps Lady Doctor poster. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just that, like, getting a text from a person that, like, didn't intend to text you and it's about you is fucking terrible. Like, I've never had it be, like, about me. Like, no one's yeah. ever called me. But I've definitely had someone text me to cancel plans oh and God. then accidentally text me that they were... <laughs> their new plans that they were coming. Ugh. I was like, uh, okay, cool. So the thing that you just told me was not true. Oh, my God. Yeah. One time I was at the student union in college studying probably with a friend and we both got the same text message at the same message before group texts both got the same text message at the same time what are you doing tonight and it was from our friend who was looking for something to do mm -hmm. but she was looking for who had the best plans <laughs> and it wasn't like let's all do something together she was yeah. waiting for somebody to be like oh i have an in at this party and it was funny <laughs> and then if she didn't like the answer, she's going to be like, oh, that's cool. So she's I'm get busy. back to you. Yeah. yeah. And so then we're sitting at the same table and she texts back my friend, but not me. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. I see how it is. She'd be like, I'm hanging out with the person across from me. <laughs> okay. So Barry talking to Fuchs. This is so sad to me. Like, this is like one of the saddest scenes because Barry even like straight out says it. I have no one to talk to. Mm -hmm. Like... I mean, he should talk to a fucking therapist. Yeah. But he, Fuchs is the only one that he can talk to. And Fuchs tells him he can't be honest. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, I, it's a good scene. Like, there's just a lot of honesty happening. But the result of all of that is that Fuchs tells Barry he still has to hide himself. Yeah. And practically speaking, <laughs> he's right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, sure. Especially now. Yeah. I, I think that, like, the thing that I really, like, loved about this scene was, again, we, like, listened to interviews with Alec where he says he likes to, like, take the audience, like, left seven mm -hmm. times and then hard right. And in this case, you're going in believing that Barry has no one to talk to, of course. Yeah. And knowing that you know, Fuchs is not in a place to talk to him right now because of the whole wire yeah. stitch. And then you also know that Fuchs is there to get a very specific, you know, have a specific conversation with him. Mm -hmm. And you're expecting it to be a confrontation. And the fact that right away, Barry is like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Yeah. It disarms things. It does. It really did. Yeah. Yep. It's just, it's a very sad scene. And like, it but is. then, you know, of course they end it sort of on a funnier note with both of them but like being like i missed you man i missed you too <laughs> but you see real emotion out of barry like yeah he we really get a sense that he's very alone and like 
one of the things that I feel like Fuchs does is he goes from like one moment to scheming the next thing like mm-hmm. so quickly. Yeah. You know? It's true. And in this case he just kinda sits in it for a moment. And to me it feels like he's actually being present with Barry and is like mm-hmm. really connecting with him. And like all through last season we were asking each other, like, does Fuchs really even care about yeah. Barry? And I think he does. He does here. But then it's like I don't know, he can just do such horrible things to Barry and yeah. and also he sees this emotion out of Barry. He knows the truth of Barry. Yeah. But he's never above using that if it gets him what he wants. Yeah. Oh, man. So, all of that is to say, mm-hmm. you know, Fuchs has told Barry, like, you can't be honest about this. These mm-hmm. people do not want the truth. They want to be entertained. And so, we cut to Barry and Korangal. Jean's watching, and Barry slides into, instead of the moment where we hear the wind whistling and Barry gets that, you know, rage stare, Barry stands up and gives a speech from Braveheart. (laughs) (laughs) And in this genius move, I loved this so much, Jean walks into the scene. Mm. And I'm not not talking, like, on stage. I mean, like, in Korangal. Yep. I love it. And then at one point, like, Albert gets up off the ground to yeah. argue about some point. Like, it's amazing. It, like, really shows you the fluidity and the, like, the impermanence of memory mm. and how flexible it can be. The mm-hmm. fact that you've got it in this scene. Ostensibly, we're watching a flashback or at least a version of Barry's memory yeah. of being in Korangal. And then it becomes interpolated with these other things, <laughs> which is exactly what's happening. Like, it's just, like, a really cool visual way it's of so conveying good. that. I love it. Like, because he could have this conversation conversation with Gene, like, outside of the yeah. scene. He could flash out of it. And yeah. You, like, but it was just so, so genius to put yeah. him in there. But, you know, Gene wraps it up again by saying, like, you need to get in touch with your inherent darkness. And Barry keeps trying to be like, I don't have any inherent darkness, though. And he's like, yes, you do. <laughs> and then I I guess that is why Gene makes him play Sally's ex. Oh. Because he thinks that it will help Barry, like, get in touch with his inherent darkness. Barry is obviously uncomfortable, like, from the get-go, playing Sam. You can see, like, on Bill Hader's face, like, he literally, like, chews his lip a lot. He doesn't even like saying the lines. And that's when Sally's like, just really nail me with the word whore. Like, (laughs) he doesn't even want to say it. Yeah. He has to be coaxed to say the line. And then she's like, no, just, like, really hit me with it. And Gene, you know, Gene's getting into it, too. And he's like, Barry, I need to see you acting. And I was like, I wrote, like, is Gene actually getting wise to the fact that Barry never acts? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. I, he's just like, I need to see you acting. Because Barry's like, I can't do this. I can't. And he's like, you you have to act it. Yeah. This isn't you doing it. Like, you need to be a character doing it. Yeah. But he's so uncomfortable. And then, like, when Sally really starts, like, pushing him it basically went back to that scene with Chris in the car. Mm. And he says, like, don't do that, please, Sally. Like, please don't do that. Like, it's that, like, pleading thing that he also did with Chris. Like, why did you do that? Like, don't do that. Because he knows he's getting to a breaking point. Yep. Where he's going to have to unleash his inherent darkness. 
And he doesn't want to. <laughs> he doesn't have that, right? Unleash the inherent darkness. <laughs> it's just that scene was so intense. Yeah. With Sally coming at him and Jean coming at him. And Sally, like, literally, like, shoving Pushing him and yeah. trying to get physical with him. Yep. Like, to me, I was just like, to me, it was a lesson. Like, you really should not push people. Literally. Literally, <laughs> you should not push people. But, like, you don't know enough about anybody Yeah. really force them out of their comfort zone like that. He's literally saying, I don't want this. Yeah. He's not saying, like, please help me figure out how to do this. Yeah. He's saying, I don't want to do this. I'm not comfortable doing this. I don't want to do this. And they just push him anyway. Yep. I, um, again, like, we were talking earlier about suspense and that scene plays out for, like, a long time to the point you yeah. start feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. Which makes sense because Barry's uncomfortable. Yeah. And you don't, you really don't know what he's going to do. And then he, he runs. Well, I mean, he makes the choice to leave. Yeah. Which is great. He does not... I think we are all waiting to for him to snap. Yeah. We are waiting for him to snap and we're going to see Rage Barry come out because they teased it for us in the Albert scene. Like, we know yep. when he turns around, like, some shit goes down. We know that that's going to be the case. But we didn't see it. And so we think that that's going to be the case now. But instead, he removes himself from the situation, Mm -hmm. which is, like, a very mature thing to do, a good choice to make. And then they go outside, Mm. and Sam appears. Who the fuck could have seen that coming? That was such a good twist and, like, a crazy, insane way to end the episode. Like, the fact that, like, literally, like you said, like, the sound drops out, and then there's the whistling, so you see Barry's rage growing and then Sally's just, hi, Sam, and then cut. She almost seems to shrink. Oh, yeah. Like, she immediately stopped, because she was pursuing Barry. Like, yep. she was pushing and pushing, and, like, she pursues him. And then as soon as she sees him, she literally just, like, turns inside herself. It's like a dog with the tail between the legs, yeah. like, trying to make itself small. Yeah. And um, immediate submission, because it triggers that in her. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's just, like, so much is spoken in that, like, two seconds. I know. Or so much is unspoken that's conveyed. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, what a bummer note to end this episode on. It is a bummer note, but also, if you'd ended this episode ten seconds earlier, it still would have been a fucking awesome episode. Yeah. It's a really great episode. And then to end on that note, it's just, like, I mean, that's, like, catnip for viewers. Like, you need to tune in and see what's going to happen. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Before we go, I do want to just really briefly shout out a couple of the newer actors that we're seeing. So Andrew Leeds is Leo Cousineau. He looked really familiar to me, so I looked him up, and he's been on Silicon Valley, and It's Always Sunny, and Veep. And Mrs. Maisel. Was he? Who's he on Mrs. Maisel? Uh, Her brother. Oh! Who may oh or may God. not be the CIA, yeah. Wow, I totally didn't even remember that. Is it no- a while since Noah? I watched that show. I think it's Noah on that show. And then 
Sam, who we just briefly see at the end, but we'll see more of next episode. And I don't feel like that's a spoiler. (laughs) I think everyone expects that. (laughs) Is Joe Massengill. And he has been on Fear the Walking Dead. And also, we were puzzling over this, (laughs) was on like 12 episodes of Heart of Dixie, but neither of us remember him. (laughs) Sorry. And show has such a big ensemble cast like like in a chorus practically beyond like the ensemble cast so who knows there's like a whole village of people and it's one of those shows where they all the extras just yeah. came back and back and back it's true 12 episodes of that show and neither of us recall him yeah <laughs> i'm sure he was great <laughs> so yeah so just a couple of the newer people that we're seeing okay so do you have a most evil guy this episode is hard it is, yeah. No one's dying. I, uh, this is tough. I don't want to blow my most evil guy because I might want him to be my most evil guy for the next episode. So. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. What do you think? What's what's yours? Mine is Jean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just think it's, I think we go back and forth on whether to chalk up his ham-fisted attempts to connect with his son as like a lack of knowledge mm-hmm. or like a lack of effort. And increasingly, as we see, you know, these multiple attempts, I'm, I'm on the lack of effort side. Mm. Like, he just, he is not giving this his all. Leo can feel it. And it just looks increasingly self-serving mm-hmm. and selfish. And I think out of this episode, which is a fairly lighthearted episode, Barry's honesty aside, (laughs) I just feel like Gene is the worst behaved. Yeah. That's a good one. Are you just going to copy mine? (laughs) (laughs) No. um, As you were talking, I was like, you know what? I think it's going to be Hank for me, this episode. (gasps) Why would I say something so brave yet controversial? Oh my god! (laughs) (laughs) No, he's out for blood this episode. He... You know, oh, true. In, in his dreams was fantasizing about killing, what's her name? Esther. Uh, Esther uh, wakes up, is gleefully awaiting the news of her, the, you know, being killed, which yeah. is, it's not because she's done anything to him. No. It's because he's she's trying to there. protect his little domain and yeah. his relationship with Krista Ball. And, um, and then he's out for blood when it comes to Barry, too. So right. it, it, it's like two Hanks here, you know what I mean? And I feel like with him, the killing is, like, he doesn't want to be involved in it, but mm-hmm. he's totally fine giving the order to kill somebody. Yeah. And also for making, <laughs> for making Akmal get up and dance with the fucking <laughs> shot up shoulder. That sucks. <laughs> he was just trying to take his mind off the pain. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he's my controversial, uh, <laughs> most evil guy of the episode. I mean, what does it say about us that you picked the guy who's actively trying to have people kill this episode and I pick the guy that, like, is mean to his kid? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I mean, the bad dad. He's the worst one. <laughs> they're they're both evil in their own ways. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's the really resounding theme of our podcast. <laughs> Everybody is. sucks. It is. Before we go, we got an email from our poll question from our last episode when we were like, hey, what's a Yoshinoya beef bowl? Because <laughs> we did not know. And DJ was wonderful enough to write to us and said, this is not only a reference to the Los Angeles franchises, so apparently it's a franchise. Okay. Which I feel like you should know because you've been out there. Yeah, there's like 
so much stuff in LA. It's okay. so big. I've never been, so I'll take your word for it. Yeah. DJ also says it is a meta callback. In Bill's last appearance as Stefan on SNL, John Mulaney appeared as Stefan's lawyer, Shy. When Stefan asked Shy if the word midget could be used, John whispered back, my girlfriend works at Yoshinoya Beef Bowl. Also, more meta with the show Future Space, which was the title of a movie in the web series The Line that Bill Hader did for Above Average, a web content arm of Lauren's Broadway video. So lot, a lot of bill Hader reference wow. wrapped up in that line that we were just like is this some west coast elitist joke that we don't get oh my gosh <laughs> holy cow i know i was like uh a plus level research yeah you're amazing like the, the howard zinn of bill Hader historians <laughs> so from now on when we can't find something through weak googling we'll just ask dj <laughs> dj you are the bomb.com yeah totally <laughs> and shout out to skylar too for your uh, for your comments yes we really appreciate them. it and speaking of which, if you also want to get in touch with us, we're available on socials um, at Most Evil Guy on Instagram and Twitter. And Most Evil Guy at gmail.com. So, to end the week, we're going to leave you with a line from Akmal If we suck balls, you are king of Suck Balls Mountain. <laughs> and scene. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>